Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you tonight. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. You can uh, grab your copy of Scripture, open to the first chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to this church at Philippi. And we just sang verse 6 from this chapter of Scripture. We'll, we're going to start a new series tonight called Together. And, and here's a little bit of what I want to accomplish over the next month, month and a half. Each week, I want to talk about a different aspect of our lives together as believers. And so tonight, I'm just going to sort of lay a foundation for that and give four principles uh, that will sort of undergird everything I'll talk about. And we'll talk about the way in which specifically that we grow together, that we pray together, that we worship together, that we relate to one another, all these different ways in which we are uh, made to be together and better when we're together than we are otherwise. So it's going to be, uh, I hope, a very uh, wonderful, enlightening time. And tonight we're just going to set the foundation by starting in Philippians chapter 1. Let's pray and then we'll study together. Father, we thank you for tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to be together. God, I am so grateful for my brothers and sisters in Christ, the encouragement that they are to me, Lord, to look out across these faces, Father, and to see the lives represented, to to look and, and see the joy in children's lives as they're learning about you and hiding your word in their heart. It's so spectacular to uh, just see what is happening here around us. And we're so very grateful and so thankful. And Lord, I'm very thankful tonight, especially to be able to pastor a church that takes you seriously. And Father, we're grateful that we can come tonight and we can Study your word that we're not here to listen to fables or to tell stories or to be entertained, but to peer deeply into your word and to see your nature and character and to be transformed by it. And we're so thankful and so grateful for this opportunity. Now we ask you, give us ears to hear God. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I just want to read from Philippians chapter 1, I want you to think about uh, these words, how God gives us His Word through human vessels, that these are the very words of God inspired by God and yet spoken through a man in a situation, in a circumstance to a group of people who are real people just like you and me, that this Word was delivered to a church filled with Ordinary people just like us, pastored by an ordinary man just like me. And yet, here we have this recorded in Scripture. Let's begin in verse 3. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank God, Paul says, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of this, of you, of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that 
your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, but not sincerity supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always so. Now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, I remain in the flesh. Uh, To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, just reading through that and just listening to the Apostle Paul just pour this this admonition and this love and this encouragement over this church. It's so wonderful and it's so amazing. But in it, there are these all of these telling nuances, all of these sort of remarkable things that Paul's saying, considering the situation he's in and the people to which he's speaking. I recently... Uh, read a book that uh, I, I don't read uh, fiction. I just simply because I don't have time to read fiction, to be quite honest with you. It's just not my nature to read fiction. And so I, I read things that, that edify me. And uh, sometimes, most of the time, I'm reading theological things. But every once in a while, for me, a, a fun book would be like a book I just finished. It's a book entitled Mission Drift. And it's a book that talks about... Uh, various organizations and institutions around the world, primarily in the United States, that were were founded on Christian principles by people who had a clear vision of what God had called them to do and how over time these organizations and institutions have shifted away and, and just almost become utterly and completely secular, that they barely even... Uh, no one would even know the roots in which they started. The founder's vision is just completely gone. And it really ministered to my heart in the sense that uh, I felt that it was good for me to, to read through that process and to know that, you know, vision drifts, mission shifts, things, things can, can slide away if, if we're not careful. 
You, you think about uh, marriages that maybe that you have known, certainly marriages that I have known, that at one time in my life I, I would see this couple and think, my goodness, that they are so solid, so in love with each other, so committed to Christ together. And then uh, slowly over time, the relationship grows cold. It begins to splinter apart. And then eventually it's, it's just a, a, a fragment of what it once was because there wasn't care taken to, to nourish it along the way. Friendships, for example, maybe you've had a, a really close friendship. There was a season in your life where you had somebody who was so close to you and you did everything together and you shared everything and you found such joy in one another. And then just over time, that friendship grew cold. It just sort of drifted away. If, if, if a relationship is not nurtured, if, if vision, if mission are not uh, just constantly sort of reiterated in our hearts, we will begin to drift. And just because something at one time was utterly and completely true in our hearts and impacted us and shaped our lives in some way doesn't mean that it will continue or that it will always be that way. I was having... Uh, sharing a meal with a with a brother in Christ, uh, and uh, he was talking to me about the church that he pastors, and we were just having a conversation. And in the conversation, he said, "You know, uh, my church used to be a very missional church. It used to be involved in in lots of wonderful things. It, it used to be evangelistic in nature, and and people were were getting saved, and lives were being transformed, and people were being baptized, and things were happening. and And I said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "Well, I don't really know, but I know that now people just talk about all the things that used to go on here." And I thought, "How sad that is! How sad that well, what happens?" How does something that's, that, that's at one time so fresh and so vibrant and so alive just dwindle out? Because certainly when it's, when it's happening, when the coals are hot and when the Spirit of God is moving and working, the people there, they're excited by that and they're energized by that. And they, so what happened? Did, did they just forget what God had called them to do? Did they just lose sight of uh, where they were, was there some catastrophic change? I, I don't know specifically. But I just know that it's, a, it's an ever-present danger that we need to be very careful about and very mindful of, especially here at MMBC and in, in the place in which we find ourselves tonight, to not grow complacent as God moves among us. And so... I just want to use these verses to to show us a couple of things, first of all, about why we exist. Just a very broad sense of reminding. Why are we here? What is this about? Because we never want to lose sight of the moorings that that hold us to the gospel. We don't want to lose sight of the, the tenets that drive us to be the people that we uh, are called to be by God. That's why I've entitled this message Charged and Charging because we've been charged by God of what to do. We've received our, our marching orders and now we're charging forward in response to what God has 
given us. And we want to remain that way. We want to remain charged and charging. So the first thing I want us to think about is, is in regards to why we exist is, is for, the, for the broadening of the gospel net together. You see, we're, we're here for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, notice what, what Paul says in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, But I, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The advancement of the gospel, that's a very important phrase, you might want to underline that, the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. You see, Paul here is speaking to the church at Philippi and he's, he's reminding them that one of the main reasons why they exist, why God has called them to be the people of God and to exist as the body of Christ, as the local church, is for the broadening of the gospel net. That new people would be exposed to the gospel. That it wouldn't be that we're a people who harness this, the greatest news that's ever been given in the history of the world, but that we would keep it shut up in this building and that we would hoard it unto ourselves, but that we would always remember that we are here for the furtherance of the gospel, that the gospel would continually go to people who need to receive it, who need to hear it, who need to be impacted by it. And that happens, one of the primary ways that that happens is, Together, notice that Paul here, he almost seems oblivious to his own suffering. He's in a Roman prison. He's utterly and completely uh, uncomfortable and restrained and restricted in every way. And yet he's oblivious to that. He's not even concerned about the fact that he's, he's suffering. What he's excited about is that the gospel has gone forward and it's become evident to the palace guards. That even in jail, his concern is, but is the gospel being furthered to those who are around me in jail? You see, not only is it being broadened in his own life, but the gospel is being broadened in the lives of brothers and sisters who are around him. Look at the next verse in verse 14. And most of the brethren, the brothers and sisters in the Lord, have become confident in my chains, and they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see where the situation and circumstance that Paul is going through is furthering the gospel in his life and in the lives of those around him. And that's what happens with me and you when we're together existing as the people of God, that we are constantly reminding ourselves that we're here for the furtherance of the gospel and that through this living this life of, of Christ in the context of community, that what happens in your life As the gospel is furthered in your life, it impacts my life and my life, so on and so forth, around the room and throughout the body, that the gospel is is pushed further. And not to mention the fact of all the ways that we further the gospel corporately that we simply could not do individually. I mean, we are a prime example of a local body that accomplishes so much for the furtherance of the gospel that would be absolutely impossible if it were not for the corporate buy-in that we have. You ever thought about that for a second? Have you ever just thought like, right now, right now, Pastor Rod and Dustin are in China. Have you ever considered 
what would happen if Dustin was, you know, sitting around his office down at the law firm one day and, and uh, just uh, thinking about the Lord on his lunch break and reading in the Scripture, and suddenly he got uh, this this wonderful sort of inspiration through the Holy Spirit that maybe, you know, maybe I should... Maybe I could go. Maybe I could go to a country like China and I could share the gospel in a, in a dark place. And I could. But he wasn't connected to a body like this. Then what would happen? How would he accomplish that? How would he just get on a plane and fly halfway around the world? Who would he connect with? Where would he go when he got there? How would that whole scenario work out? And you think about all of the people that don't have the things that we have at our disposal. All of the people who are in that situation or some situation similar to that. So they, they are relegated in many ways to live vicariously through other people, which is not what God has called us to do. He's called us to exist for the furtherance of the gospel. For the furtherance of the gospel. You know, it, it would bother me sometimes. When people would come, especially when I, when I first became pastor, because I just wasn't really sure how to feel about this, that, you know, people would come and they would, would, would plant their lives here and join our church, but they would come from another church. Now, I don't mean where you moved into town from somewhere else or something, but some other local church. And so now here you are. And at first I was a little concerned about that. Like, well, but why, why are you here and not there? Like, what happened there? And I, I, I know you're all reading between the lines. You know what I'm thinking. Like, what problem did you bring here from over there? That's what I'm thinking. I don't want that. But here's what I began to realize. That what God was doing was, in many circumstances, He was sending people here so that they could be a part of something that they had no opportunity to be a part of somewhere else. That they wanted to be a part of a place that was committed to the furtherance of the gospel. And that is an extraordinary blessing and benefit that we have. And it only happens in the context of together. That's the only way this works. You see, they, there's, it just it can't be any other way. And so we need to, as a people, always remember that we exist for the furtherance of the gospel. And then as we're existing in that reality, that we need to create opportunities for that to be accomplished. That we need to create opportunities to, to push on. So, for example, for example, in October, we'll, uh, the last Sunday in October, we'll be having our um, fall festival that we do out at the... Uh, public school campus in Socha. And, you know, it's just been a tremendous way for us to bless that community and just to, to get outside of ourselves and to go out there and to be a blessing to the community and serve them and, and minister to them and care for them and love them. And, and so God has, has blessed that in, in, in a wonderful way. And I say every year that one of the great blessings of that, I mean, I remember... I've been here 20 years, just like many of you have. And so you, you know the difference that no one, I never heard a conversation 15 years ago. There was never conversations about, boy, that was so 
the, the, the people who served at the fall festival were never saying, well, it was such a blessing to be able to serve. That was so amazing. We loved that. No, we just did it out of duty. I mean, I ran that stupid cakewalk out of duty. I did. But that's not the case now. Now there's such a great togetherness that happens, but we need to continually push forward. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm challenging the leadership to do is that this year we want to multiply that and we want to, we want to go into some of the communities around here and we want to celebrate them and we want to be a blessing to them and we want to have a block party for them and we want to just go in and say, hey, we're here, we love you. How can we serve you and say, thank God for you and thank God for your children and we're here as a congregation. If if there's some way that we can be a blessing to you, that God loves us and so therefore we're going to love you. We're not asking for anything in return because we want to push forward. We want to create opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. In order to do that, you have you don't just stay stagnant. You don't just keep repeating the same things. You just you have to keep moving. You know, we're 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 continually uh, pushing forward and. And, and reminding ourselves to pick up our eyes and to look out around us across the fields that are white for harvest and to see all of the opportunities that God has before us. So Paul is just reminding this church that they exist for the furtherance of the gospel, that the, that, that the broadening of the gospel net, and then secondly, the deepening of the gospel. It's not just the broadening, but it's the deepening. You see, once we've received the gospel, it's not just about broadening the net, taking the gospel out to people who don't know it. It's also about continuing, continually allowing the gospel to transform us in the process. That these two things are going all the time. That we are an organic entity that is moving and growing. That things are happening inside of us all the time. Notice what he says. Look down in verse 22. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell you. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I love the way he says, which is, I just want you to know, I love you, but to be with Christ, that's way better. It's just way better. Verse 24. Nonetheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And so he says, in being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you. Why? For your progress and joy of faith. That, you see, we exist for the furtherance of the gospel to go out amongst people who need to hear it. But then we also exist for our progress and joy of faith. That Paul is so committed to deepening the gospel in the lives of the people around him that he places them above himself. That he he says, now I would rather... Go to be with Christ. Now, I understand that it's not his choice. But he's at least honest to say, you know, I'd rather be with Christ, but I feel confident that I'm going to stay here because you need me and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith. What a beautiful picture. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, this is progress and joy in the faith, that together we stir each other up in love and good works. 
part of our lives in Christ is engaging in this task of stirring each other up, of the progress of joy and faith in one another. And it's a community adventure. That it is something that if, if, you, if you think about a time in your life where you negated this uh, principle, if you maybe uh, drifted away and, for example, began spending Sunday nights at home watching television, what didn't happen is that you didn't advance in joy and faith. That's not what happened, is it? Absolutely not. The reverse happened. That no matter how hard you try, no matter what your intention is, no matter how devoted you think you are to something, when you disconnect yourself, even in a piece or a part, I have been watching this very uh, closely. I, I watch what goes on. I, I watch this group and I watch the Wednesday night group. And I watch the ins and the outs of people. And I watch what little things, like when I, when I don't see you on Wednesday night for two or three weeks in a row, I consider, now what is it that happened in their life? And then, and then you're back after a little while. And so as we're going through life together, what I notice is that I notice that when, when something happens, when you, when you have a surgery... When you have a, when you, when you go on vacation, when you, when your, when your normal cycle is broken, that it's an opportunity for you to drift. Have you ever noticed that? That most of the time, when people drift, it happens utterly and completely unintentionally. You did not say to yourself, you know, I think I'm just going to kind of slack off on Wednesday nights or I'm not going to go to church on Sunday nights. That's not what happened. What happened was you had surgery or you were taking care of your loved one or you, you got sick for a couple of weeks or something. And then that break in continuity opened the door for trouble to come in. And then you just sort of lost your bearings for a while. And no one ever comes back and says, wow, man, that was really good. That was so good for me. I mean, it just blessed my heart. Never. And yet, you would think that we would be so on guard to that, but yet, I see it all the time. I see, I see people develop friendships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Close friendships. And then, as friends, they engage in activities that pull them out of Gospel-centered things. Now you talk about a tricky situation. And they don't even realize what's going on around them. But I just want all of you in here to consider right now, consider the friends that you have in Christ should be spurring you on to love and good works. So if you're not in church, if you're not connected to the community of faith and you're off with some relationship, some activity, some friendship, what is really happening there? 
Who is, are you better off? You see, just watch. You can, you can learn so much. And this is what Paul is being inspired by God as he's speaking these words. He knows the dangers. He, he, God is talking to you and me. And so as these, as I'm throwing these scriptures out, I just want you to see that it's clear that the God who gave us life wants us to grow. Would you agree with that? He wants us to grow. This is not a stagnant thing. A, a Christian is not just, just static anywhere, anytime. We're alive and we're growing. So the Bible, so we, we spend all summer talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you know, this is just getting more and more challenging for somebody who is so agriculturally challenged. I mean, you got me up here this morning preaching about farming. You talk about out of my wheelhouse. That is out of my wheelhouse. Thank goodness that, you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit isn't like, you know, horse breaking or, you know, anything to do with cows. That would be bad. But why? Because, for example, the Bible says of a righteous person who's who's in Christ in Psalm 1, verse 3, that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. You see, growing, that the idea of being together in faith is that we would grow, that, that God wants us to be branches connected to the vine, that in John 15, bear much fruit. You see, why does the Bible always give us these agricultural ways of understanding things? Because we are to be growing, growing. We're not sitting still. We're not just laying down and just uh, stopping where we are or being satisfied with with what God has already done or living in the, uh, the blessing of yesterday. We're pressing forward. And so even when the church is growing... And this is what really got in my spirit in the last couple of months as I was just meditating on these realities. What does the Bible say to a church that's growing and that's flourishing and that is experiencing the power of the, the Holy Spirit working among them? What, what does the Bible say to a church like that? You know, when Paul talks to churches... In his letters, he writes these epistles and he talks to churches. And usually in the in the opening verses of the letter, you get some indication of of as Paul's greeting, you know, what what, what's going on or how does he feel about this church or what sort of their past history. But if you want to know what church did Paul absolutely love, what church was he just totally just overjoyed and infatuated with the, 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 the wonder and the splendor of the way that they loved each other and the way that they loved the Lord and the transformation that he saw, it would be the church at Thessalonica. He loved that church. And look at what he says to this church that's doing great things. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you would abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. He says, hey, you're doing great. 
Hey, you are walking with God. Hey, you're obeying God. So here's what you need to do. Do that more and more. Don't slow down. Don't give up. Don't get satisfied. Don't don't scale back. He goes on in verses 9 and 10 to say this. But concerning brotherly love, uh, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I mean, look at what he's how amazing these people are. And he says, and indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. I mean, these people were getting it done. And what does he say? But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You see? And this is where, you know, we've got to really take note of what God is. What would he say to us tonight? He would say, he would say, push forward. More and more. Let it abound in you more and more. Continue to to press into all that God has for us. The Christian life, it's not about arriving in Christ. It's about thriving in Christ. You don't just arrive. It's not like you, you come and you hear the gospel and you get saved and that's it. You've arrived. No, no, no. That's just the beginning. And no matter how long you've been in Christ, you are thriving. God has called us to be a people who thrive in Christ. And listen, it's, it is individual growth. But in the context that I'm speaking of, it is corporate. I'm talking about how we thrive in Christ together. For example, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, this passage will come up. Paul says about the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. You notice that? That the body grows. The body matures. It grows. God grows through the body. That He doesn't just grow individuals within the body, but He grows through the body. That, he, that there is a way in which God corporately grows a group of people that one of the most active growth encouragers that we have at our disposal as the people of God is one another, is the body. Have you ever been talking with somebody about all the wonderful things that that, that God is doing around you and that you're being a part of? And, and so oftentimes... Uh, I'll be having a conversation with somebody who maybe they've just started serving in a certain area and, and God's really working in their life or, you know, things are just maybe you're just sharing with somebody some of the things, the residual effects of what happened in, in the in the in your Sunday. So, you know, for example, Steve might go to work tomorrow and while he's at work, he might be talking with somebody and say, man, they say, well, how was church? And he said, man, it was a great day. It was a great day, you know. One of the boys from my, my Sunday school class got baptized. And, you know, it just was such a blessing, you know, to hear him say how much me and John, the other teacher, meant to him. You know, you think about how fantastic that is, right? And so he's sharing that with somebody at work. And this person at work, they go to church, but they just sit in the pew. You see, that never happens for them. And so his... Testimony makes them think about, wow, that's really great. You know that you're able to see God using you to impact 
lives. And, and what's beautiful about that is that in so many instances, that opportunity is overlooked in so many places. I, I'm not going to go on a tirade, but you've all heard it before where somebody will come to me and they'll say, you know, here's what we do, pastor. Like I asked, here's what we do. Okay, tell me what you do. We, we don't have any problems staffing our preschool. We just pay everybody. And you're proud of that? That's good? That's horrible. That is horrible. What are we going to... We, we pay our children Sunday school teachers. So we pay somebody so that they could impact Caden's life. No. No way. That's bad. That, that there's... These are opportunities that we have corporately that, that you just can't have other places that God uses. You see, in a thousand ways a week, there's all these tentacles of, of, of the body that, that go out that are these things that are happening that, you know... Sometimes it used to bother me because when it first started to really just go haywire and there'd be, you know, 25 things in a week and, you know, it would, I would think, I got to find out a way to make sure that everybody knows all the things that are going on. But then I realized, well, first of all, that's impossible. And second of all, it's not really necessary. That what happens is it just begins to multiply on its own. That, that God has a way of just blessing and working. And so when I, when I come up here, when I come to work this week, and I see Chuck's truck down there by the Connex, and I know that he's down there fooling around with the clothes that are going to go to the Navajo reservation for our Christmas outreach out there. I mean, I know what he's doing out there all day, a couple days this week. And it's encouraging to you maybe in some ways to know that he's doing that. But here's the thing is that God multiplies and gives the increase and that people engage and get involved and they start doing things and connecting in ways that that only God could do. It, it, it's not incumbent upon me or the leadership of the church to, to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Honestly, I, 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 I thought about it this week. I thought, you know, if Mark would have came to me and he would have said, you know, Tony, uh, actually, I told Mark, I said, Mark, what you need is you, you need some ambassadors. Because God's sending you out of this body and you're, you're going to plant your life in Arizona. And you, you need some ambassadors in this congregation so that we're, you know, some people who carry the, the mantle of what God is doing amongst the Navajo people so that we stay in touch with what's happening and we continue to spur each other on for good works in this area. And so that I, and, and he asked me, he said, well, who do you suggest? I said, I don't know. You need to pray about that. But I can assure you of this. I don't think I would have picked Chuck. 
not for any specific reason. I just don't think he would have came to my mind. And yet, you see how God did that. I didn't say, you go get Chuck, you go get Belinda, and you connect with those two. Would I have ever dreamt that that when when we decided that we would go and investigate the things that God had for us in Moldova, would, would I have anticipated that it would have been Diane who, whose heart would have been so grafted into that? I, who could have predicted that? But God knew, see? God does that. We, we don't have to humanly piece all the, uh, the pieces of the puzzle together, but He grows us together. Together we grow. You know, we, as we participate with one another, things happen. Notice that... Uh, that the verse in Hebrews says that we stir up love and good works. That, that phrase, stir up, it, it means to provoke. The King James used that word provoke that so oftentimes has a negative connotation. We don't think of provoking each other as ever good. Whenever we're provoking one another, that's not good. But it is that we're to provoke. It's a strong word. It's that stir up means shake each other and, and provoke each other to love and to good works. And that we, we got to think about this, that we don't just lay back on our laurels and it happens. You consider one another. So notice the writer of Hebrews, he says, you're going to provoke each other, but how are you going to do it? You're going to consider it. You're going to think about it. You're going to invest time considering ways in which you might accomplish this endeavor of as a faith family, we're going to provoke each other to love and to good works. You see, we think about it. We think, how can I do these things? So I'm going to give us four quick principles that are going to sort of lay over all of these together messages that we're going to do in these various things. And these will weave into whatever it is that I'm talking about that we're doing together. These four things are going to weave into every one of these conversations. They're going to serve as a, as really a, a platform for all of them. Four things that as a church, as a faith family, that we need to be conscious of as we stay focused on uh, our, our mission of why we exist to broaden and to deepen and how we grow together and how we spur each other on to good works. Four things. The first thing is relationship. We need to just understand that relationships matter. They are vital that we need to prioritize being connected. That it is absolutely, positively something we've got to always be conscious of. Connected. Connected. That we want to be connected to one another. Because when we're disconnected, a variety of tragic things happen. You see, all of us have been created by God who has existed in all of time in perfect fellowship within the Trinity. We've been created in that God's image. There cannot, it is humanly impossible for anyone to even attempt to make the case that you're just a loner. You're not just a loner. You cannot be just a loner. If you are, it is not in the will of God. Because God is a corporate 
communal God, an intra-Trinitarian God between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've been created in the image of that God. And so we need to prioritize relationship. One of the things we've got to be strategic about is prioritizing the various relationships within this body. We need to prioritize the marriage relationship, that we need to be a people that are conscious of edifying the central human relationship in every married person in this body's life, which is the marriage relationship. And so we want to we want to be doing all that we can do to build that up and to help that succeed. I found it interesting that obviously I knew everything that I was going to say before I got up here, at least the parts in which I intended to say. And then as I was walking, Joe stopped me in the foyer And he said, hey, by the way, you know, that marriage study that you gave me to do a while back, he said, you know, I've done it a couple of times and it's just really been an amazing thing in me and Stephanie's life. And if you ever see the need for that, to to put that out to the body and to assemble some people, I would love to, to teach that. Bingo. See, that's just God's way of confirming. You see, Tony... You don't have to put everything together, but we've got to prioritize that relationship. We need to prioritize the relationships between parents and children. And so when we see that that relationship struggling, we need to grieve in that. And we need to step in and help each other and not not come in with, you know, when you when you come into a marriage relationship situation or a parent-child relationship situation, you got to go you got to tread lightly because those are, you know, especially you with each other, peer to peer. But you need to you need to be you need to make sure that you're engaging in that and that you're being a blessing and a help and and realizing how vital that is to their uh, to, to their growth as a believer and how much it means to to them and their family and to us as a family. We need to have relationships with each other. So again, back to Colossians 2.19. When Paul says that the body is nourished and knit together by what? By joints and ligaments. Now, what do joints and ligaments do? Joints and ligaments connect things together. That's what they do. I mean, that's basic anatomy. They're connectors. And what we do is connect to each other by joints and ligaments connect us together. And so we consider things that spur us on, that provoke each other on, that connect us together. So we we connect through Sunday school. We connect through connect groups. Imagine, wonder why we chose that name. I don't know. You know, one of the conversations that always comes up at the end of the summer is, is that Something, if you've been around here for the last four or five years, you realize that something special happens to us every summer. It's something special. God just does something special when we take a break and get into connect groups. That, that there's a, there seems to be a, 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 a special sort of bounce in people's step and a, and a, and a, just a, a a fervor and an energy that sort of just takes over the the congregation and and you know every 
Every summer is different from the last and, and it's important that we're in different groups and that we bond with different people and that we study different things and that we're open to all of those various nuances. But, you know, almost everyone in our congregation who has participated has been impacted greatly by one of their connect groups. And I'm, I'm always amazed by how those relationships persevere over time. I was talking to some folks uh, last week that were telling me how they're still, they're still closely connected to people from the very first connect group that we ever did. It's remarkable. So relationship, number two, truth. Truth. The first thing is relationship. The second thing is truth. Relationships provide a setting to grow but it's truth that provides the growth. So it's, yes, I mean, it is incumbent upon me, but I don't think you got a lot to worry about in that regard. I mean, I'm not going to become a guy who suddenly gets up here and starts telling you stories and entertains you. I mean, I'm going to push you. That's just the way God made me. That's just my understanding of how to operate in the gospel is to push and to push and to push and to take this time very, very seriously and to utilize it and to study the Bible and to make the most of it. Truth is going to provide growth, but it's not just this truth. It's all sorts of other kinds of truth. I mean, you know, there's a we're not we didn't just sit around one day and say, you know, we've got some extra space. Why don't we raise a bunch of money and spend it on a library? That'd be a good thing to do just because there's nothing else there. So why not put that there? That would be good. Wouldn't it be good? I mean, you realize what, what that takes to accomplish? But why are we doing that? Because it's bringing truth into our lives. You know, that, that I want your life to be filled with God-centered, Bible-saturated books. I want you to read voraciously and be edified in the gospel by by I want you to have every opportunity to study and to grow. And that's why that's there. And so, listen, there's already been bound to be plenty more. That's okay. I don't mind having the conversation. We'll have it as many times as somebody wants to have. it. But when you come to me and you say, Pastor, why aren't there? This kind of books in the library. Just understand something. What makes a book a good book? You want to know what makes a book a good book? If you read a book and it causes you to desire to read your Bible more, that's a good book. And I want every book in that library to cause people to want to read their Bible more. The last thing I want to do is bring things into your life that are going to supplant the Word of God. That's not what this is about. This is about edifying you in the Lord. This is about piling into your life as much gospel-centered, Bible-saturated material as we possibly can. I read tons of books. I think I know what good books are. Good books make me want to read the Bible more. Good books make me want to be a better husband. They make me want to be a better father. They, they drive me to be a better pastor. They, they stretch me 
to think about things in ways I've never thought about before. That's what good books do. They don't entertain me. We're here to grow. That's what we're here to do is to grow. Okay, I'm moving on. Your Sunday school class is there for you to grow. That's what that's there for. So the things that go on in your Sunday school class are there for you to grow. Your your personal study time, the time that you spend with the Lord is for you to grow. They're there it's there for you to grow. Because what happens is is that when you're when you're when you're showered with truth in this environment and then you go to a smaller environment and you're showered with more truth in that environment and then you have opportunities to be showered with truth because of resources that are available to you and then you are at home every day in in your space, in your quiet time, being showered with truth in that environment, guess what happens? That truth begins to permeate out into the ordinary, average, everyday moments of your life. That's what happens. That's the plan. That's what God's purpose is. That's what we're doing. It's not just one little thing or one little place. It's all of it together. It's truth. Number three. A willingness to speak. A willingness to speak. Maybe to speak up, if you will. You know, when the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider. Let us Consider one another. Let us think about these things. Well, now, how are we going to activate on the things that we consider to provoke each other to love and good works? Well, I can assure you of one thing. It's not going to happen apart from words. It may be words and actions, but it's going to be words. That words are always going to be there. Sometimes there's going to be other things involved, but the one constant is almost always going to be words. And words matter tremendously in a body. Tremendously in a family. Listen. All of you in this room, I would be willing to bet that the vast majority of you, if we took a poll and I asked you, what is the harshest, most painful Thing that has ever been spoken to you. I am willing to bet that not maybe a hundred percent, but very close to it, those words were spoken to you by somebody who was in your family. You know why? Because words in a family are magnified exponentially. And words in this family matter tremendously. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That we need to have a willingness to speak, but we need to... You see, we, we can't clam up. We have to consider and then act on it. We have to be willing to use words, but we also have to use the right words. We have to be careful in the way that we speak to each other. And we have to, we have to be conscious going into conversations that we're speaking to each other in love. Because let's just face it. There are a lot of things that we can say to each other 
that if, if, if they're not thought out, if they're not spoken in love, why does the Bible have so much to say about speaking in love? And do you know what those, the, all those passages in the New Testament about speaking? They're not to speaking to the people out there. They're about speaking to the people in here. You know why? Because the words in here have great weight. And so we need to be willing to speak. And we need to say things that need to be said. But we need to say them in a way that brings grace to the hearers. Now, hear me. That doesn't mean that you say things. If you've ever been around me, you know. That doesn't mean you say things that someone wants to hear. Grace. That brings grace to the hearer. Sometimes people don't want to hear grace. You just make sure that you're speaking it and bringing grace to them. Many times after the fact, they'll come back and say, you know what, what you said. I thought about it. And I want to say thank you. That at first, I'm going to be honest, I didn't like it. But I know you wouldn't have said that unless you loved me. You know, one little caveat, one little side note on this area. One of the biggest stumbling blocks that I see between believers and their willingness to speak is assumption. When you have conversations with your brothers and sisters, do me, them, and yourself a great favor. Do not assume that you know what's going on. Because most of the time, you don't. So find out before you speak. Go to them and before you open your mouth and, and just lay out your solution to their problem, take five minutes and talk to them and find out in their words what their problem is. Men, we are horrible at this. Horrible. And it is, it's a dangerous place to be. Because when we don't impart grace to the hearers, we are sinning against the holy God. So it matters. So we need to have a willingness to speak. But you know what else? We need to have a willingness to hear. We need to have a willingness to hear. You know, in a lot of ways, one thing that, that, that makes you so wonderful as a people is that you, you do have an eagerness to hear in this arena. And it's fantastic. That I can stand up here and I can teach and I can teach and I can teach and you and you're hungry and that's just extraordinary. And there's so many places they just they 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 don't have a willingness to hear and and it's just you know uh, hey I'm just punching the clock man and I mean it may only be it's my one time a week and I'm going and I mean thirty minutes is all I'm listening and then I'll, I'm out of here. To which I just shake my head in utter and complete disbelief. But 
We also need to have an eagerness to hear personally from one another. That sometimes uh, it's going it's to take some effort for us to, to have a willingness to hear words of counsel. It, it takes some, some effort to have a willingness to hear words of confession. You know, it's, it can be awkward sometimes when, when people, when, when a brother or sister comes to you and they're confessing something to you. Because it can make you feel a little antsy if you're not mature and you don't understand that, listen, it's not incumbent upon you to fix their problem. It's just incumbent upon you to listen graciously and impart grace to them. God is the one who fixes the problem. But it takes some, some effort to be able to do that. It takes some effort to be able to even hear, for some of us, words of encouragement. Some of you, I'll go out of my way to encourage you because I know I can, I can see you mentally deflecting everything I say. Because you've been so wounded and so beat down that when somebody puts words of grace on you, you just... But I don't stop, and I never will, until you look at me and smile and give me a hug. But it takes a whole lot, a whole lot, to be able to hear words of correction. And what does it take? Have you ever wondered why... Why do I pray almost every single time we're together? Before I teach, I ask God to give us ears to hear. And every single person who's ever sat in here when I preached had two ears to hear. But why am I asking God to give us ears to hear? What specifically, have you ever thought, well, what exactly does he mean by that? What exactly is the intention behind that? Why does Jesus say that? It's humility. Ears to hear is humility. Pride shuts up the ears. And I know that more often than not, what I'm about to say is going to slam full frontally into your pride. And I'm praying that God will give humble ears to hear what He has to say. And you know what? When I sit down and open my Bible and it's just me and the Lord and I'm not thinking about you, I'm thinking about Him... I say, God, give me ears to hear. And then I begin to read His Word because I I know I need a humble set of ears to be open to anything that He wants to say to me. But I believe that with all my heart that in a place like this, in a season like this, there's so much opportunity for so much to be accomplished. But we cannot grow complacent. We cannot allow ourselves to drift. And I want us to spend these weeks to focus on what it means to be together and how critical it is that we, we are in relationship 
and that we're bound together by truth and that we're willing to speak and that we are willing to hear and that all of those things will weave into all of the other things that we do together. And I hope that it will be an enlightening time for us to see that God has truly called us to be a peculiar people. We are a peculiar bunch. We are. But it is such a joy to have so many wonderful people to be peculiar with. One more thing and then I'm done. It's like sometimes, especially when I'm away from here. I love to be away sometimes just to get away and to unravel and unwind. But I long to be back when I'm away. And sometimes when I'm away, I have this experience where... I have the opportunity to worship with another people or to, to, to be in another environment with other pastors or whatever the case may be. And sometimes I, I, I feel like, like I've shown up to the party and I'm the only one that thought it was a costume party. And I feel like I'm the oddball in the room. And that how desperately I want to look behind me and see at least someone else come in the door that's in a costume. It's too late now. I'm there, you know. I'm... But when I'm here, I feel like you're all, you all got the same memo I did. And that we all are, are peculiar together in our own way. That I'm part of you and that you're part of me and that somehow we're grafted together and it's just a it's just a, a joy to to know that you belong to know that you're loved you know what I mean to know that okay one other thing when I came when I came in the service tonight I mean it's, I mean I took five steps in the door and Crystal was saying, Pastor Tony, Pastor Tony. And I said, what? And she said, Nathan's home. You know, we've been praying for her husband to get home. And for weeks, I've just been consumed in my prayer life about what does it feel like to be a, a young mom and to have your husband deployed? I don't know. But what does it feel like to be a young mom and your husband be deployed and while he's deployed, he gets hospitalized and you can't go there and you can't visit him and you can't call him and you can't check on him and you can't get any information and he's in a foreign place in, a far, in the hospital. And, and it's right at the time he was supposed to come home. So you've waited, you've X'd off all the days on the calendar to finally get to the point where daddy's coming home and then it finally gets there and no, he's in the hospital and everyone else that's, that's in his battalion or whatever you call it is all home. But he's not home. What does that feel like? I don't know, but I know what it feels like to be brokenhearted for somebody that I love that feels like something that I don't know. But I also know what it feels like to look in her face when she says, he's home. I want you to know he's home. And that's so good. And you see, I only know that here. 
I can't know that apart from here. And so I get to experience a little bit of of her life and your life and your life and your life. And we do that. And it's just, that's what this is about. That's what Paul is saying to this church at Philippi. Hey, I know that I'm in a bad situation, but who cares? The gospel is being furthered. And by the way, I want to be with Christ. But I think I'm going to stay with you because you need me to be here. Because by staying here with you, by putting you before me, you're going to advance in joy and faith. What a blessing. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We're grateful for your spirit and for your word and, Lord, for your care and your love for us, Father. And we bow in this moment simply to say, God, you are so far and away better to us than we could ever deserve, ever imagine, ever think, ever want. And, Lord, in the, in the midst of responding to all that you have done, all that you've accomplished to make this moment possible. God, I ask that you would press us to push further, to desire more and more, to provoke each other in love and good works. That, Lord God, you would be exalted as the God who not only delivered us but who continually 24 hours a day 7 days a week sustains us and grows us molding us into the image of you thank you thank you thank you for the gift of togetherness we are so grateful we love you So help us now to respond in whatever way we need to respond. We just spend some time thanking you and reflecting on all that you've done. And we give you glory and praise for that in Jesus' name.